Welcome back to the Thrive Subscribe Podcast. Uh, as we head into this long holiday weekend on July 4th, starting tomorrow, uh, the Thrive Subscribe Podcast app will be also taking a little time off for some rest and relaxation. Uh, while we are on vacation for part of this month, uh, we will be offering you replays of previously aired episodes. Today, we reach back to last October when Randy had a conversation with Ann Burns talking about accountable care organizations and where pharmacy fits in. We hope you have a great holiday weekend, and uh, please enjoy this replay of the Thrive Subscribe podcast. Hello. I just want to welcome everybody to our Thrive Subscribe podcast. I'm very excited today to interview Ann Burns, who's Vice President for Professional Affairs for the American Pharmacists Association. Good morning, Ann. Good morning, Randy. How are you? I'm doing well. It sounds like we both have had an interesting morning, um, me flying in late last night and you trying to find a good hot spot for your, your web. So <laughs> yes. we it's a Friday morning. But I'm excited. All right. Very <laughs> good. Very good. Well, I think what I want to do, Anne, is just get started with some of the questioning um, with you. And, and so we have a chance to really talk about some of the things that are happening in the pharmacy profession. I know you're kind of in the thick of things, especially as it relates to value-based uh, reimbursement. So my first question is, what opportunities do you see for community-based pharmacies in a value-based healthcare system? Um, well, it's a great question. And uh, I, I'm, I'm feeling like pharmacists across the country are starting to see this movement to value-based models where we're really trying to drill down and access and improve the health of, of individual patients. And so from, from my perspective and what we promote a lot at APHA is the access that, that community pharmacies provide within these models. Um, with these models, in case some of those listening are not that familiar, there's really a population health component where instead of the patient coming in to a doctor's office and self-selecting to receive the care, the organization is responsible for a population of patients. And oftentimes you have patients who aren't engaged with the system or maybe not engaged optimally. And so the goal, because you're responsible for them as a healthcare provider and as an organization, is to, to get those patients more individualized care. And we know that patients see their physicians, especially in the primary care realm, maybe four times a year, but especially complex patients are in the pharmacy maybe 35 to 36 times a year or more. So there's really significant interest because community pharmacists are interfacing with patients to leveraging their expertise to help in coordinating care, potentially being responsible for some different quality measures because in these models, patients are, or sorry, providers are, are responsible for meeting quality metrics. And so the whole dynamic is changing and, and organizations, especially those that are on the cutting edge, are looking at how they can do business differently to make sure their population of patients stays healthy. And so they, they know that especially community pharmacists have great relationships with their patients. 
They're able to reach those individual patients. And so there's a lot of interest in leveraging that. When you talk about organizations, Anne, can you give me some example of some of the organizations you're talking about? Sure. Um, so there are a lot of different types of models in value-based care. Uh, probably the two that most have heard about are accountable care organizations. And with an accountable care organization, it's actually a legal entity that that is, as I mentioned, is responsible for the quality and the cost for a, a given population. And accountable care organizations form in various ways. Sometimes groups of physicians come together. Sometimes it's a hospital and groups of, of physicians. And the important thing is that I think distinguishes an accountable care organization from, say, maybe managed care in the 1990s is although they're focused on cost, they're also held responsible for quality of care. So they're basically given a lump sum of money or, or um, an, an, an amount where they are supposed to be, um, they're supposed to be managing the care of that population. But again, the overlay is they also need to meet the quality measures in order to that are assigned to them in order to get incentive payments and so forth. So that's one type of organization. If we get at a more granular level, uh, there are also patient-centered medical homes, which are primarily physician-oriented. So think of a primary care physician who's trying to build a team of providers who can help that provide that physician meet their quality metrics and get their incentive payments. And so we know from monitoring the landscape, um, there, there's been a significant move, movement to embed pharmacists in physician offices to help them meet quality metrics. Accountable care organizations often use patient-centered medical homes as the building blocks for how they deliver care. And now we're seeing interest as well in how do we use the community pharmacist to also help with the patient's care. And I know, Randy, you've been involved with this, but we're following very closely some of the pharmacy to pharmacy connections that are also happening. So we're seeing the pharmacist in the physician office who may be working directly with one or more community pharmacists to share information, monitor patients, and so forth. And I think in the end, we've got to figure out how to build the business model to make all of that work. But I think we have a lot to offer as pharmacy, and I also think that the, the dynamics are changing around in the healthcare system, finally, to, to be recognizing pharmacists for the vast amount of medication knowledge they have. Thank you for that um, information, because I think that will help people understand, you know, the types of organizations that are evolving out there to really not only improve the quality, but also be most cost effective um, for the system as well, too. You know, it was interesting yesterday, um, I was in Denver, Colorado, and it was 
for a grant that Bill Doucet and I received um, for the Centers for Healthcare Strategies. And so it was five organizations, which all happened to be from the Midwest, that received the, the grant a year ago. And we were actually demonstrating the data and, and the effect of the interventions that we made. But one of the people that was uh, there to help uh, facilitate the meeting uh, said, you know, things are going to be moving fast. And there's, you know, these organizations are going to be held responsible for cost and care. And so they're going to be selecting, you know, who's going to help them do that. So, Ann, one of the questions I have for you, so how does a community-based pharmacy prepare in this new world where it may not be self, so much a self-selection of the patient, but it could be either uh, a combination of a selection with the organization giving you a, a group of pharmacies and you pick which one or the organization saying these are our high-performing pharmacies, you need to go here. You don't want to be left on the outside. So what do you think people have to do to prepare themselves? Uh, I, I think that is probably one of the most important things we'll talk about this morning, Randy. And I agree with you totally that things are moving at lightning speed now. And I often feel like I'm hyperventilating because we really need to be engaged as a profession in these models. Um, so I think you hit you you hit on one important thing. I think as a, as a community pharmacist, you need to think about how am I equipped to manage a panel of patients? Because you're right. In these models, different providers are assigned patients and they are responsible for those patients. So do you have the infrastructure within your practice uh, because part of this is data collection and data aggregation. So you need to be documenting your care effectively and have systems in place that are able to pull the appropriate data elements in order to demonstrate and provide the information that will be used to calculate whether you're meeting the quality metrics or not. And so that's a whole new activity across the board. And there are, there are positive parts to that and negative parts to that. The positive is it gives you the opportunity to demonstrate your value. But the, the downside is the metrics probably aren't where they need to be yet. And so we need to make sure that the data that we're providing is calculating our performance in the most appropriate way possible. So within your practice, some of the considerations, depending on what you're being asked to do. So from the community pharmacy perspective, I know in the Part D space, there's already been a focus on medication adherence. But, but I, it's, I, I believe that this will evolve, and I think practices like yours, Randy, validate this, that pharmacists are going to be looked to to do more. For instance, maybe hypertension monitoring, really big issue across the country. Um, it, how set up is your pharmacy to be able to spend time with the patient if you need to? Even if it's a brief encounter, you have to be set up in order to be able to document the care that you're delivering. Do you have the systems in place to document and then do you have the staff infrastructure 
so that pharmacists are able to spend the time that they need to in these, I call them more advanced patient care activities. So all of these are going to be very important. Um, the other thing is going to be collaborative relationships with physicians and other providers, number one, so that you can be involved in the game. Um, and it is kind of a game right now to some extent. Um, but really, number two, so that care can be coordinated and you and the optimal care can be delivered, because as we all know, we need the appropriate information about the patient in order to in order order to deliver the most effective care. And then I think the other thing that we may have known for a long time, but it's really becoming more evident in these models, is that. As a, as, especially if you're an independent community pharmacy, you probably can't do this alone. Um, you really need to be thinking about creating a network because these organizations need to deliver care to their population of patients. And they can't really be thinking in terms of one practice at a time. They need a network of providers that they can go to for instance, to cover medication adherence or optimal therapy for diabetes or hypertension monitoring. And so thinking about, about how that happens, I know we've been following very closely and, and really have been very excited about the CPESN networks that are forming across the country. And there's a real interest from payers when you can come to them and say, I have this group of pharmacies that are committed to delivering these particular services. We feel like we can move the mark on whatever metrics you are interested in, in assistance with. Long-winded answer, but no, that it's, was just, a very it's a really complete package that yeah. we need to be thinking about. Well, yeah, and you hit upon some several points that I just want to reemphasize and, and maybe get some of your feedback. But one of the things you said, you have to be ready to be engaged. And, you know, that's the whole purpose of some of the things that we're trying to do and help people transform their practices, um, community-based pharmacies in particular, because they have to create the capacity to be able to provide the care and have the time to provide the care. So you talked about CPSN USA, and currently we have over 2,400 pharmacies across the nation and um, you know networks that are almost in every single state, some states having multiple networks, and Iowa being one of those states having CPSN Iowa, which we have um, about 100 pharmacies that are involved in that, and really trying to use that uh, regional coverage to demonstrate that not only can we provide high-quality care, but we have the regional coverage as well. And what we looked at, you know, what's currently going on and what you're familiar with is um, there's been a multi-million dollar grant, multi-year grant with the Community Pharmacy Foundation to fund uh, a program to help transform pharmacies in CPSN and those, uh, all those pharmacies involved in that. But it's called Flip the Pharmacy. And to create the capacity to be able to provide this level of care, uh, there's six domains that, you know, pharmacies really have to focus in on to actually change and be prepared. And that includes the appointment-based model by, you know, really optimizing your medication synchronization program. How do you do appropriate follow-up and monitoring? How do you utilize your staff who are non, 
pharmacists, technicians, clerks, uh, you got your delivery drivers, but how do you optimize the use of them to free up the pharmacist to really provide the care to patients? Use of technology, automation, and, and other types of technology that will help you with the documentation and e-care plan submission. How do you develop good collaboration with other providers? And then the last, and certainly not least, because this is what's driving it, is we need, need a different business model, a different payment model for how pharmacists, as part of the team and part of the network, are being paid to provide these level of services. And the last thing I want to touch upon that you brought up was hypertension. What's exciting is with this Flip the Pharmacy, we've also been involved um, through connections that we've had with the Community Pharmacy Foundation, with American Heart Association, American Medical Association, who are very excited about the Flip the Pharmacy and this transformation. And so they're providing some of their expertise and resources to help prepare pharmacists to you know, start making sure they have the infrastructure, but know how to do a blood pressure appropriately. Because one of the concerns they have is it doesn't matter what kind of provider you are, a lot of times blood pressures are not being done appropriately. Now, how do we work together to be monitoring those patients to really make sure we're meeting the guidelines and reducing the blood pressures so we're having an effect on reducing long-term complications related to um, hypertension? So that's very exciting because you touched upon so many different things that I think is really important. One, you got to be engaged. Number two, you got to create the capacity. Uh, number three, if you haven't transformed your practice to be able to do this, you have to do it and documentation becomes key. And last and certainly not least, um, you need to be part of a, a high performance network so you actually can say it's not just a one up in one little area, but you actually have coverage that is of interest to the payer. Does that sum that up pretty well, Anne? I, I think that summed it up phenomenally well, Randy. Um, and I would just add, add a couple of, um, I think, considerations, or, and one is more informational. I, it's very exciting, the work that you're doing with the American Heart Association and AMA, and just want all the listeners to know that the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, is phenomenally supportive of pharmacists and very interested in how, lever how community pharmacists can be leveraged within their communities. And they have a lot of resources around how, how pharmacists can get connected in their communities. There's a big hypertension effort underway, and they very much recognize the role of pharmacists. So I just think it's important for everyone to know that this isn't just coming from within pharmacy. You've got, as you mentioned, the American Heart Association and AMA. We've got CDC. There are a lot of players in the marketplace that are very interested and would love to see this work. So I think that's very exciting. Um, the, the other thing that I would say just from uh, how do you prepare your practice, there's a lot of focus nationally right now on social determinants of health. So what are all those factors in the patient's lives outside of the limited amount of time that they're engaging with the healthcare system that impact their overall healthcare? And providers across the board, I think, are starting to see that if we're really going to impact metrics, we need to be thinking about whether the patient has transportation to get to the pharmacy to get their medications. And we know a lot of 
independent pharmacies offer delivery service, which can help in addressing that social determinant of health. We know so many patients are challenged with costs and and where some of the environmental factors and where they live. And so really this whole patient approach is also something that we need to be considering across the board as we're trying to figure out what's the best way to get our population of patients both healthier, but also to mitigate the progression of their disease. And I know of at least one pharmacy that actually has hired community health workers within the pharmacy to help navigate those social determinants of health um, issues that, that so many patients face. And I'm not saying that every pharmacy has to do this, but I'm just trying to paint the picture that the way healthcare is being delivered is really at trying to meet the patients where they're at, in their homes, in their communities. And I think community pharmacy, it, pharmacists and pharmacies are very well you know, positioned to play a significant role. Again, you touched upon a lot of important points, and uh, people are going to think that I planted all this stuff, but it's not. <laughs> so I, I, if they I, only I, knew the yeah. drama right before we started. Yeah, this exactly. Call. Exactly. <laughs> so I had two major presentations this week. One was with the Iowa Hospital Association, and they had heard uh, on a webinar and read in an article that was written uh, about the research that we were doing at Towncrest for the Centers for Healthcare Strategies, the main emphasis of that research was actually medication complexity and how do you reduce medication complexity by working with patients, their providers, uh, to really identify those, those particular variables that are affecting how complex a regimen is and how do you reduce that to make it better. But a secondary part, what was really exciting was Part of the grant was social determinants of health. So Bill Doucette and I were looking for, you know, what are some of the standard measures that are out there? And we found a, a tool called Prepare, not Prepare, but Prepare. And Prepare is a 21-question, multiple-page survey that really addresses those major issues that you just talked about. We thought, well, five pages, 21 questions is probably, you know, not something that's going to be frequently used or readily uh, used within a, a busy community pharmacy. So we actually pared it down by um, looking at what were the different domains that we really need to capture with the uh, social determinants of health survey. And so we were able to reduce the 21 questions to eight questions. Now we haven't done any validation with that yet, um, but we felt like we captured the information that we really needed to. And that was exciting because that's exactly what the Iowa Hospital Association was very interested in hearing is how do community pharmacists capture this information and then how do they connect resources within the community? And then also with uh, the meeting I was at in Denver, that was a big push. And that's one of the reasons why we got the grant is because we did have the social determinants of health um, information in there. And what we found within our own practice, and we didn't know this was existing. I mean, we always know there's some affordability issues, but when we sat down and really looked at the data for the, far, for the patients that we provided this survey to, the big one that came out was transportation. We offer free delivery, but I think some of the patients didn't realize we had it. And so transportation, not just to the pharmacy, but to any healthcare provider, any appointment. So we were able to connect them um, with some of the resources in the community. Now, how did we find out about those resources? Because when you do social determinants of health, you better be prepared to um, identify the resources. We actually worked with our local county 
social services department and also public health. And by working with those two departments, they provide just this array of different services and, and brochures that we could share with our patients. And so that was nice. Another issue we found out was joblessness. So affordability became an issue because people had a limited income. So how can we connect some of the resources within the community that can help reduce the cost for the patients? But it also forced us to start looking at some of those patients at the regimen to say, is there a least expensive or a less expensive alternative and make recommendations to the prescribers about those less expensive alternatives. And when you put it into the perspective of the patient and the difficulties the patient is having, those recommendations are accepted pretty readily. So I'm very excited to say that you're absolutely right. And I think you're talking about my good friend, Trip Logan in Missouri, who actually yep. has yep. hired community health workers. And he's found some pretty phenomenal things too, where these individuals are actually traveling to people's homes. So they are identifying people who may be at risk at home. And so again, they don't have an ability to get to the pharmacy. So they'll send a community health worker who's been trained and certified as a community health worker. And they found some significant issues. And one in particular is they found a person who was actually at the very beginnings of a stroke and getting them into the system. You know, how much of that saved the system by catching this early and, and really just having the training of an individual who could provide that information back to the pharmacy for them to make the, the clinical assessment saying, we got to call 911 and get this person into, into the hospital. So all these are very important things. And so I think it's showing that community-based pharmacists and all pharmacists, not just in the community, have to, got to really look at the patient in a multi-plane way where it's not just about the drug therapy, it really is about their life and what are the things that are affecting them that's keeping them from optimizing their health. Yep, I, I can't agree more. I've also heard that some pharmacists or pharmacies have go will use their delivery drivers and the delivery drivers will go into a patient's home with an iPad and then the pharmacist and can communicate back and forth uh, yes. that way. So I think there are a lot of creative ways that that pharmacies can use their locations to lev or to branch out into the community to address these pro these problems. That that I think the the point you raise is the overall goal of this the value based models and value based payments and care is is to try to make the most effective and efficient use of our resources and to try to save costs to the system and hospitalizations and emergency room visits and and that kind of care are the most expensive costs and so how can we influence that as as pharmacists I appreciate that. And one of the key terms that you used at the very beginning, which is right on, is the accessibility of the community-based pharmacist. And that is important because we can become a hub, if you will, to connect the patient to resources, other providers, because of the accessibility. There's not any other provider. And I think we have to capitalize on that as well, Ann. So I appreciate you doing Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So my last question, because you are Vice President for Professional Affairs for the American Pharmacists Association, and I am a Board of Trustee member, so I need to be asking, so from your perspective now um, and with the work that you're doing, what can you tell the listeners about what PHA is doing to advance community-based pharmacy practice? Oh, and thanks, Randy, for being a board member. We, we are 
eternally grateful for your expertise. Um, our, our activities really span the gamut as it relates to advancing community pharmacy practice. Um, we, we, that has been a core area that we have focused on for years. Our, our primary focus as an association is around advancing the clinical expertise and patient care service delivery for pharmacists. And I, I characterize it really in three different areas. Um, the first is raising awareness. Uh, through a variety of different strategies to as to what pharmacists can bring to the table because we still have individuals and organizations that see pharmacists more in the traditional dispensing role, which is an incredibly important role. Uh, at, but we also know pharmacists have been underutilized forever. And so a, a lot of media and and advocacy around helping those understand the role of the, uh, the the clinical role of the pharmacist. We have long been involved in what are the factors that that are needed to transform community practice. Uh, we've actually been involved in the development of community pharmacy residencies, which are more of a laboratory and training ground for community pharmacy leaders, believe it or not, since 1985. And I had the distinct and wonderful opportunity to work on that program um, for about 10 years. And it's very exciting to see that program growing. And I think we've learned a lot and generated a lot of, of individuals who are out there transforming community pharmacy practice. Uh, the other area that we're working vigorously is the payment area. So working on the Hill, working with CMS, um, trying to develop resources to help pharmacists understand the new payment dynamics. We're moving from fee-for-service to more um, to more capitated and, and population-based uh, payment. So we need to be thinking as pharmacy in terms of getting uh, per member per month payment to manage our panel of patients. And that's a new activity and, and how much do we think of because that's a, that's, that type of payment has traditionally been more in the managed care area. So we're doing a lot of work on uh, payment and then we're just trying to develop a lot of resources and share information about what successful practices are evolving so others can learn from them and uh, expand their practices. So we're focused on a number of public health issues like hypertension. We're doing a lot of work in smoking cessation, a lot of work in expansion of naloxone therapy and we are we have long-standing work in immunization so we're trying to to position the pharmacist in the eyes of those important stakeholders outside of pharmacy that community pharmacists can make a difference in the healthcare of this country well, I sure appreciate that because I know that, uh, you know, there's a lot of concern about, you know, what's the viability of community-based pharmacy for the future. And yet, 
um, knowing the things that APHA and other organizations are doing to help promote not just community-based pharmacy, but pharmacy in general. But when you have some particular programs, such as community residency, community pharmacy residency programs, which has been a game changer for us. And I was telling someone yesterday that I've trained over 30 residents now in my career, which I'm very proud of that. And because they're the next generation, you know, of, of change agents that are going to help continue to move this thing along. So I'm very excited about that. But I think the other thing that's important to me to, to really say here, too, and this was not something planned, this is not a plug, but I also realize um, I'm at where I'm at because I have been involved um, with professional organizations such as APHA, that they have given me of the tools, that they have given me um, what's coming down the pike and, and connecting me with other uh you know, healthcare providers with other organizations that's helping me to, you know, really transform my practice and not just survive as a practice, but really thrive as a practice. So, and I want to tell you how much I appreciate APHA's efforts and how important it is. I think that all pharmacists out there, there's a responsibility that we need to give back to our profession and, and we give back by belonging and being actively engaged within our professional associations. So I, I recognize that. Thank you, Randy. And this is a collective effort between associations and those leaders like you that are out there forging the way. And it's in incredibly exciting work and important work. And there, the, at least on behalf of the staff at APHA, very dedicated individuals that are really trying to make the profession i think what we've wanted it to be for us for the many many years that i've been in practice so and i and i'd like to just say one other thing um you know i think we we you mentioned the the significant business challenges that pharmacies face and we are very sensitive to that and working with a number of organizations to try to address that um but at the same time, with the value-based models moving forward so quickly now, I really feel like pharmacies, we've talked, sorry, I'm, I'll back up. Um, we talk a lot about the chicken and the egg um, issue in pharmacy. Do we build the service and hope it'll get paid or do we hold off and not do anything until payment comes? And I'm feeling like this is one of those times where we really have to be strategic and start, and I know it's difficult, so I'm not underestimating that, but we really need to start investing in, the, in how we can transform our practices to operate in this new system. So I feel like in the chicken and egg debate, this is one of those those times where we need to build the services as we're advocating for payment so that we're prepared to be successful in the new paradigm of healthcare. I totally agree with you. And, you know, throughout my career, I've always said, be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. And if you keep saying, you know, I won't do it till I get paid and you haven't transformed your practice when the time comes, you're not prepared. We've seen that time and time and time and time again through the history of, of pharmacy. You know, so you really do have to transform your practice. I call it investing within your practice to be prepared because when the time does come and you're able to demonstrate what you can do. And Ann, I know you were on a webinar that I recently did with Russ DeVolder from 
uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Iowa with the work that we've done um, with our pilot project now, the value-based pharmacy program, working with 74 pharmacies in the state. But the significant impact that they're seeing with those 74 pharmacies involved in a value-based pharmacy program is really reducing their overall healthcare costs, reducing ED visits, reducing hospital utilizations, but just overall reductions in um, utilization of healthcare resources and improving the metrics of patients so they're having better outcomes. So this is absolutely essential that everybody prepare themselves that you know the future is here. We can't wait till tomorrow. Um, we need to get our practices transformed. And that's why I'm excited to be part of the Flip the Pharmacy with CPSN USA and in collaboration with the Community Pharmacy um, Foundation, um, showing that really pharmacists can do this. And uh, it's exciting. And I think we're going to take full advantage of that and really demonstrate uh, in, in an aggregate and scalability that uh, we can do this and we we have the resources now to demonstrate the value of, of community-based pharmacy. So, and thank you for all your efforts. We truly appreciate it. Thank you for being on the call. I know you had some challenges <laughs> getting on, but this was a wonderful um, interview and I appreciate your time. Do you have any parting thoughts? Um, I would just thank you, Randy, for all the leadership that you are providing. I don't know how you're getting any sleep these days, but um, it's, I know there are a lot of pharmacists like you out there as well who are really figuring this out and making a difference. And uh, just want to thank you on uh, behalf of APHA and thank you for the opportunity uh, to uh, speak today. It's sincerely appreciated. Well, thanks a lot, Ann. And again, this was Ann Burns from the American Pharmacy Association, Vice President for Professional Affairs. And we appreciate everybody listening in today. So thank you very much. Thanks, Randy. The Thrive Subscribe podcast is brought to you by Thrive Pharmacy Transformations. Visit us online at tptransformations.com where you can join our free community to inspire you, challenge you, and transform your pharmacy practice.